Hello and welcome, independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, shadow citizens. Welcome to episode 13 with guest Stefan Verstappen. You can listen to our live broadcasts and chat along at mixlr.com slash forward shadow citizen. We are also simulcast at radioconfluence.com, and from there you can take us with you on TuneIn and Xeno Live. For a schedule of upcoming guests and past archives, please check out our shadow citizen dot online. And now we have some cool merchandise now, so people are enjoying those coffee cups and T-shirts and that, helping us get our name out there. My name is Rob O'Sell, and my co-host is... Rachel L. McIntosh. And today we have Stefan Verstappen, and he is a Canadian writer and author of eight books, including The 36 Strategies of Ancient China, Blind Zen, The Art of Urban Survival, his most recent release is The Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior. We wanted to have him on because not only is he psychologically a very good person to get your head around um, and, and communicate with him and try to think like him um, and get your yourself into that mindset, um, he's very aware of what's going on in the world. And that was what we liked about him the most. Um, so we wanted to introduce you to him. Stefan, you want to say hi to our audience? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Now, did now I was intrigued first off with you back in the day, a long time ago. Um, I was at the Daily Paul. I, you know, I was a delegate for Ron Paul, and I was hanging out at a website called the Daily Paul, and people were posting your videos, your YouTube videos. And when I was recently on um, a talk show, an internet talk show, talking about my books. Um, the host said, you, you and Stefan would get along really well. And he instantly put us together. And I didn't, didn't know who you were at first. And then when I saw the videos, I said, oh, I know exactly who this guy is. And then you sent me over um, The Art of Urban Survival. And I was like, oh, wow, we got a prepper. This is cool. And then I looked at the Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior. I was like, wow, this guy's got a lot going on. So where do you want to start, Stefan? Uh, well, we talked about this, Rachel. I follow yeah. your lead. You're the lead? Okay. Well, I, I think it would be good if we start first off, if we start talking about how you were a counselor, a youth counselor with the kids in um, Toronto. Let's let people know that. Are you still in Toronto? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're <laughs> still there and you were dealing with the kids. And I noticed you have a book. Um, it looks like some sort of urban, I don't know if it's urban, but a survival guide for kids, too. Um, so would you talk to me a little bit about that whole scenario, the whole time you're working with the kids and how it kind of went into this urban survival thing? Um, sure. Well, it, it's, it's a long story, and I don't really think it's that interesting. But in a nutshell, I grew up in um, what is now the most notorious neighborhood in Toronto, the Jane Finch Corridor. And um, but when I grew up there, it was um, my life was like Huckleberry Finn. We it was a very uh, distant suburb. The the streets weren't even paved at that time, and um, we had um, nothing but farm fields and horse ranches and creeks and ponds. And uh, you know we built rafts and it was a wonderful existence. And then they built the first housing project, and you know it started the uh, the downfall and. Um, so I grew what, up. What year? Uh, what year was that? That sounds so. I did. It sounds fabulous. What? What year was that? Well, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was probably. Let me guess. Um, In the 19, year of our Lord, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah our Lord. Fourteen forty three. Yeah. No, it's. It goes back to. Uh, this would be the early mid the 60s basically okay, That's, okay. yeah i would have been 13 in 1970 so this would be the 60s and the amazing thing was we also have a thing here called black creek pioneer village uh, which is a recreation of a 17th 18th century um pioneer uh, settlement you know with uh authentic buildings and it is in this valley by the creek 
And so when we were kids, uh, you know, we would go through this forest and uh, it was, of course, the haunted forest and we came out of it. And then there was this pioneer village, you know, there were no gates. This isn't the days when nobody locked their doors. There were no gates, there were no ticket takers. Everybody, you know, uh, was on the honor system, you know, and so we were just, you know, snot those kids, seven, eight year old. And so we got to literally live like uh, um, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, in that era, you know, surrounded yeah. by those old farms and that. Anyways, uh, it quickly deteriorated when the uh, government decided to improve things, as it always goes. And it soon became a, a notorious high-density housing projects they built, you know, all these skyscrapers and anyways... So I'm an OG, original gangster, um, the Driftwood gangster. Uh, we call ourselves the dogs, Driftwood okay. OGs, you know. <laughs> okay. And um, one day we were uh, visiting the recreation center and um, this wonderful woman, Lenore Suttis, she was she had gotten a grant and um, to do uh, uh, youth work and community service. You know what Obama claims to do, community organizing. This is what she did. And uh, she hired me and my partner and uh, my buddy, my best friend. And uh, they called us Starsky and Hutch because we looked like Starsky and Hutch. And uh, so uh, it was a very great experience. We got training. She had faith in us. We, we, we got enough money to live. And uh, we, we created so many uh, projects. We had after-school programs, athletic programs. Um, we had a daycare center. We had a coffee house with live music. And we took, uh, you know, inner city youth out to the farms on the weekends and taught them how to drive tractors and all that kind of good stuff, you know. Um, to the point where the Prime Minister, Pierre Trudeau, was going to come by and visit us. And uh, that's when they shut us down. And that's when I learned the first lesson about government, and that is they don't ever do anything. And if anybody else actually does something positive, they will shut you down. Interesting, <laughs> so, yeah. No, but that's the way it is. That's what government is. They, there is nothing they can't screw up. The minute the government gets involved in any activity, no matter what it is, retirement or pension plan or war on drugs or ending poverty or welfare or anything, they always make it worse. And if anybody is able to do a good job, they go after them because it makes them look bad. So that was my first experience. But uh, And then uh, shortly after that, I went to uh, work for Toronto Boys Home, which was a halfway home for uh, um, the youth that had been uh, in trouble with the law and instead of sending them to juvie they put up in a halfway house and I worked for them for a summer uh, taking these uh, these uh, troubled teenager boys up into the woods of uh, northern Ontario and I would just uh, spend a week with each each group teaching them how to canoe and how to build fires and camp and portage and hike and you know so um, that was a great experience but what I've seen, the lesson I learned from that, I guess, is that individuals and small groups of people can accomplish a lot. Working together, working within a community um, really does a lot and can accomplish a lot. And the other thing is that, you know, working with troubled youth and, and, and you know, high crime neighborhoods, I mean, you got to get them out of the city and into the woods and teach them yeah. some real skills. And that will improve their lives, which it it improved my life because I was the graduate of a, a three-year Outward Bound program where they taught us everything, you know, canoeing, hiking, how to shoot a gun, how to shoot an air, uh, a bow, how to repel off of a cliff. You know, I mean, we did everything, rope courses, uh, canoe over canoe rescue. I mean, we, you know, it was wonderful. You come out of that with such confidence in yourself right. that that lasts for the rest of your life as opposed to the false confidence our current system of education and society inflicts on children where everybody gets a medal, a participation tro trophy, nobody's a winner, nobody's a loser, nobody has to try, nobody has to fail. Um, what you create with that is a bunch of mediocre people that know deep down inside they're nothing. They, get, they know that there's no confidence there. You know, you only build confidence through struggle and effort and success in overcoming your fears, you know. And so, um, of course, they discontinued the outward bound. <laughs> once, again, once again, the government. So who shut that down? The government. The government? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Now, of course, now you're in Canada. We're in the United States. Do you see um, parallels? I mean, you know, obviously, you've your type of government 
is very similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. Do you vote or Me, not? No. Yeah, no. personally. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. No, I, I won't participate in that farce. Yeah. It's, no, you know, I've heard the arguments, yeah, but if you don't vote and then a third party candidate could blah, blah, blah. No, it doesn't matter because this whole, the whole voting system, the whole election process is a big dog and pony show. It's a con. It's a public theater because it doesn't matter what you vote or who you vote or where you vote or how many times the same agenda is being followed all the time. So um, also, I lived in the United States for many years. I, I've spent 12 years in California. I've traveled all through the United States several times. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, we have a slightly different government system, parliamentary and, and, and instead of the uh, congressional there. But it doesn't matter because the powers that be, whatever, whoever they are, these evil cabal of psychopathic, bloodthirsty, child-molesting cannibals, and that's exactly what they are, the ones that rule this world have the same agenda in the United States, it's the same agenda in Canada, the same agenda, agenda in England, in Germany, in Sweden, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Italy, in France, I mean, it's all, they all follow the same agenda. All our countries are infected with political correctness. They're all suffering the cancer of feminism. They're all being invaded by millions of third world criminal refugees. And there's nothing, you know, uh, you know, the Australians didn't vote for this. The French didn't vote for that. The, the Dutch didn't vote for that. Canada didn't vote for that. They all had different political parties, all different political candidates, all different political systems. And yet... We're all getting the same stuff. They all have a central bank. They're all in debt up to their eyeballs. They all have the same, you know, cultural uh, Marxist indoctrination. They all have the same school and educational indoctrination system. There's no difference. Mm. So remember when? I remember, I think it was when. What was it during? I think it was during. Oh gosh, I can't remember what the actual incident was. I think it was during the um, collapse of 2008, our financial collapse. The mm -hmm. real estate bubble. Mm -hmm. They had a, a announcement that was said in France, in Germany, in the United States. Everybody, every single, and they said the exact same. It was like they read, read, were reading the same exact press release. They are. They, yeah. they all read the same press release. There was uh, at the time uh, um, we had our prime minister was uh, Stephen Harper, and he read this speech. And it uh, turned out that two days earlier, the Prime Minister of Australia, I forget what the name is. Yeah, right. we might be talking about the same exact thing. Yeah, because I remember seeing it was the exact same speech. It was the exact same speech. So everybody's on the same agenda. They, they get their talking points. You know, so it doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't. They, they all get the same talking points. So the same thing with Trump. You know, yeah, okay, maybe Trump is. No, he's not. Yeah. There's well, no way this guy would be president if he wasn't on the list of people that take orders. Right. We've Rob, got a, how do you feel about that? Yeah, we've got a question from the chat room, and, and that is, you know, what is your alternative to a voting system? You know, if, if, if you're not into voting, what would you? And I could go off on that, too, but I'll let you uh, take it for a while. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I've, I've thought long and hard about this because I've been trying to figure this out, come up with solutions. And the only solution uh, is a revolution, but it has to be in uh, a leaderless revolution. Uh, there's no other way to do it. Uh, frankly, folks, you know, it, the, you know, it's too late. The horses fled the barn. It's too late to cl close the, the barn door after the horse is gone. We are screwed. We do not have any say in how our government and how our lives are run. We have zero say in that. And there is no solution that's going to work in, under the current system. I mean, what, what could you do? An alternative party? That's not going to work. Um, they'll yeah. either infiltrate it and, and, and uh, subvert it, or they'll marginalize you. Or if worse comes to worse, they just round you all up and put you in prison as, uh, you know, under a phony terrorist charge, whatever they want. You, you, you know, we don't have a chance in this system against the system. There's no way you can fix it. From inside, we can't create another party. We can't change the laws. So 
a leaderless revolution. And the reason I say leaderless is because the minute we put together a movement, yep. whether it's like it, it gets co-opted, yeah. Yeah, no, and then you have a hierarchy, and then you need mm-hmm. funding, and then you, you know, and then the infiltrators come in, and it's it's the easiest thing in the world to turn people against each other, you know, and this is our great weakness. It's very hard for us to unite in the common cause, and it's almost nothing to sow discord and discontent among a group of people. So any kind of movement is going to fail. Yep. So the only thing we can do is individually, en masse, is subvert the system. What I mean is... We just need just to withdraw do- from the system, yeah. I'm, I, I'm uh, kind of going to back up here just a little bit because you talked about how anytime the people do something, the government gets jealous and they go in and screw it up. And I remember... One time there was uh, the Midwest was having a bumper crop of uh, of everything, and down south they were having a drought, and they're saying, "Well, geez, too bad." You know, the the farmers said, "Well, if, if the government will transport the you know the grain down there or the hay or whatever, we're we're willing to donate our excess." And uh, and the government, oh, logistically we can't do that. The independent uh, truckers stepped in and said, "Well, if they're willing to donate the hay, we'll donate the you know we'll transport it to them." And then it was after that, you know, when the independents were going to do it, then the, the government stepped in and goes, oh, well, we've got all these military vessel, you know, vehicles hanging around that oh, I think we could do it maybe. But kind of more to, you know, back, you were talking about how this project sprung up out of nowhere. And I'm kind of dealing with the same thing here. We, you know, we've got these projects, they bring in people from other areas for racial diversity, but it also brings in the crime. It brings in everything else that comes along with it. People that are uh, that have everything handed to them, they're not satisfied and they expect more. But if hum- if humanity is, uh, ha- is confronted with some sort of a tragedy, they always pull together. You know, whenever there's a flood or a... Uh, or any kind of storm or anything, people always get together and figure out how to clean the th- clean the mess up. But uh, you know, it's it's not by the government; it's the people just roll up their sleeves and work together. Yeah, you know, for, you know, for, and like I said, I saw that in action. You know, doing the community work, and that, uh, and everybody that uh, Lenore hired was working class. All right, there was no, you know, no college graduates with with a degree in sociology and. And things like that, you know, and they were able to do a better job than all the college graduates, all the all the you know doctorates that were actually working in the area. We had several groups that were trying to supposedly they had you know something to do with uh, you know working against uh, the high youth crime rate and uh, the uh, the lack of uh, you know alternative activities for uh, disaffected youth and things like that. None of them did anything. They had bigger budgets. They had lots of people with, you know, with all kinds of degrees and they didn't do anything. It was working class people working together. And um, so small groups and, and, and I'm coming up with a, a plan for this. So I'm working on a book called the community survival plan where I try to, show that really the only way we're going to get out of this is we, we we form small communities ourselves. We look after each other. We have each other's backs. And we need that right now because, you know, we talked a little bit earlier off air, but what people don't understand is that we are in the Great Depression right now. Um, I can tell you the difference from when I was a teenager to now. We are in the Great Depression. Everybody is just, it's just about money and the homelessness and the hunger. And, you know, so, but we've forgotten how to cooperate as small communities to support each other. So the alternative to this megalomaniac, massive, hierarchical, government, state, monstrous, thousand pound tumor on the back of humanity is small groups of people working together no more than say 25 people you know because mm-hmm. after that the group becomes too big and you start to get in, in, into the radar of uh, the powers that be and uh, right. also you know your successes you keep them to yourselves you know um, you do things to support each other and so the, the leaderless revolution would be small communities individual groups of people that we can all agree on starving the beast, you know, everybody, turn off your TV, 
cancel your cable subscription. Don't go to see the Hollywood movies. Don't buy coffee at Starbucks. Don't shop at Walmart. You know, let's all agree we got to starve these SOBs, you know, and stop feeding them. That's the first step. Then we create our own microeconomies. We have to look after each other. With uh, right now, it's it's probably with a little bit of rent money now and then, or some cans of food for the kids. But soon it's going to be. We need to look after each other with food and medicines, and uh, small communities can do that. We were six people, and like within six months, we were had accomplished so much so much that the prime minister of the country wanted to cash in on the on our success because it was election year and he was campaigning in, in in our province and this was such a wonderful program and showed how much we accomplished with so little government funding i mean we had like i think our, our grant was thirty thousand dollars you know for a year for six people but, I've got a clip here from uh, Catherine uh, Austin Fitz, and it talks about, you know, because we've got some chat in the room, you know, talking about, you know, uh, government as opposed to government. And uh, I'm asked to ask about counter economics, but I want to play this quick because this is what Catherine said we're, you know, we're looking at if things continue on the way they are. So the big picture, here's our problem. We got a group of grumpy, old, I'll call them the grumpy old men. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got George Schultz, you've got Henry Kissinger, you've got all these people who've maintained all these secrets for their entire life, and they don't want us to know the truth. And so what's their plan? Well, their plan is to double down on Orwell, you know, so everybody should be chipped and they should have their money, you know, digital. And if they don't behave, we turn off their money. So, you know, so they're into mind control slavery to just deal with the situation because they find the management of these multiple personality disorder universes very difficult to deal with. And they're afraid they can't keep a lid on it anymore. So I know another one of the thing that you, uh, that you, you know, touch on quite a bit is the uh, psychopathy or, uh, and, you know, these are the people, they, they don't really have a conscience. They, you know, they don't have any empathy, but they just love to control other people. Uh, and, you know, if, if we don't, I think this is where Rachel and I both were drawn to Ron Paul. You know, he was back to, uh, you know, just follow the Constitution, get back to states' rights, do stuff at the local level. You know, and that's what so many people are looking at is just, yeah, stay out, throw away your TV, you know, stay out of Walmart, grow your own food, help your neighbors. All that stuff is good stuff. That's the only thing that's worked, and it's worked in the past. In the book that I'm working on, uh, I give some references to the old um, friendship societies. Um, I'm sure for those of are old enough to have watched the Flintstones, you remember they used to go to the Moose Lodge, and um, or was it the Water Buffalo Lodge? I forget what it was, but <laughs> you know there were these lodge systems that um, were established very early. There were a numbers of numerous uh, different systems. Um, the Quakers was a, originally a lodge system and the Goodfellows, and they were organized around uh, rural communities, around farming communities, around manufacturing, and even around artists. There were artist communities as well. And uh, they were uh, mutual benefit societies. And in the days before welfare, in the days before health insurance, this is where uh, you joined one of the lodges, and they were the ones that provided those services that later the government is now providing. And of course, once the government takes over, it screws everything up. So, um, but in the early days, and and even you know the black community and the Mexican community, they had their own lodge systems, uh, their own fellowship societies that supported each other. So, for you know a monthly fee of what. In today's dollars would be maybe 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. They got health insurance. They got unemployment insurance. They got welfare insurance. And if they were, you know, in need, the lodge would, you know, take the money that was pooled and support the members of the lodge. And they were so successful that a lot of the early hospitals were built by these and fellowship societies. So, you know, a small town would have the fellowship society. They would, you know, get 20 bucks from everybody. And again, in those days, it was a lot on the honor system, too. So you didn't have 
you know, welfare queens just laying, laying around, you know, having 10, 20 kids and, and getting paid for it. Because in those days, there, there was an honor. People were embarrassed to go on welfare mm-hmm. here in Canada. But back in the day, they were embarrassed to even take Social Security. Oh yeah, they were they were ashamed. They they would yeah. Only... It's like yeah. You, you, I, my grandfather, he God bless him. He always thought it was just for people that didn't do well in life, and it was just to help them out. But he exactly. always thought he did well, and he he could take care of himself. He didn't even take a penny of Social Security. Meanwhile, yeah. his kids, um, my parents, and you know, they're that's part of their generation. It's like, well, wait a second, I'm retired, and I'm going to take my Social Security. I, I paid into that. It's my it's my right. Yeah, it's a totally different worldview. The other thing that's a totally different worldview, if people are younger than me, I'm, you know, I'm 40 now, people that are younger than me, they're listening to you say, Oh, don't go to Starbucks, throw out your TV. Um, you know, don't go to Walmart. This is almost like, what kind of American are you? Or what kind of what are you? This is crazy talk. How can we even function this? What you're just saying about the lodges? This is a whole different idea that hasn't even you know, people haven't even thought about this. If they're younger than me, people your generation, this you're talking to people that know what this is. But people nope. younger than me, they don't know what this is. No, my generation doesn't know what this is either. I have no idea about this. This came as a result of me trying to um, figure out. You know, I'm a little bit arrogant. I have a high IQ, right? Right. So I, I'm looking at at society, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, come on. You can figure something out. The people that run the world, they're idiots. They're not very clever. They really aren't. They're evil and they're unscrupulous and ruthless, but that doesn't equate to intelligence. Being evil is actually kind of easy. There's nothing to it. All you have to do is lack a conscience and then screw and lie and cheat and, 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 and rob and steal and whatever you want to do, and then you become a big success. In our current society, that is the key to success having a lack of conscience, being willing to be a real piece of, you know, so they're not really intelligent people. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, wow, geez, I'm smart. You know, I can, what did we do in the past? And also because I, I've read a lot of history and it was only when I came across reading the history of past groups, like for example, I am an artist and I always thought that the idea of a uh, and, and when I was younger, I was part of a hippie commune too, <laughs> for 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 a while. Uh, so I uh, I thought of the commune system, but it was only until researching that I found out about the fellowship um, organizations. Currently, the, the the only one that's still left is the uh, the foresters, and of course, nobody's heard of them, right? <laughs> right. And, well, there there are still moose lodges. Yeah, but they, yeah. Their their activities have been pared down to nothing more than uh, like a social club now. Yeah, like a drinking club or something. It's yeah. a drinking club. That's all it is now. And that's again, the government stepped in because the government didn't like it that all these you know people were organizing themselves, building hospitals, providing health care for their members. You know, um, they even built fairs. You know, like these these associations would buy you know uh, fifty acres in Wisconsin and 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 build. Um, you know, a public fair and picnic grounds and, and roller coasters. I mean, all paid for by small communities that they all chipped in 20 bucks a month because really there's a lot of money in there. Like the, the, we chip into the government through taxes and they squander that money in um, unbelievable ways. It It really doesn't take that much money to feed people. It really doesn't take that much money to house them. It takes a fraction, a fraction of what the military spending is in this country. Yeah, you know? I was going to say, it's all about the military. Military and the social security stuff, the entitlements that are, that we call them entitlements now, but the social security, the Medicare, Medicaid, and the military. We don't do anything in America but war and make sick people at this yep. point, because that's what's keeping our quote-unquote quote economy alive. Yeah. And then we've got a stock market that people then buy stock in the companies that that power this, this sickness of... of <laughs> you know, it's, this, like, <laughs> it's like playing three-card Monty on a yeah. back alley in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, you know, the stock market. Please, oh my God. It's so rigged and so controlled, and it's such a farce. It's, it's, it's like voting. No, the, the the positive thing is 
that we as people can do these things and we can make a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. The trouble is um, the government has gone after the whole concept of mutual aid societies. They went after them back in the 1900s and uh, when the Federal Reserve came in and uh, they started the income tax, they really wanted to get rid of these people, you know. And so uh, they destroyed all these. Uh, and they won't even teach it in schools. That's why people, you think, well, I hear about it because I'm an old person. Um, no, I never was taught any of this. This has long been swept under the rug, the concept of people working together to improve their lives. No, no, no. We all have to depend on the government. They will do everything for you. Um, look, um, it's actually really encouraging to see what small groups of people can accomplish. But here's the problem. We have had 80 years of an educational system that has dumbed people down. It has divided people along religious, political, racial lines um, that has done everything in their power to create an entire population. Now, three generations, because I count the baby boomers as part of the generation of zombie mindless control, mind-controlled idiots. Um, three generations of mindless lunatics that can't think for themselves. And therefore, we can't work together. But if we could, if we could you know, learn those skills again, we could do a lot and we could undermine the government. Because if the entire population, or at least, say, 50%, didn't need the government for anything, we did our own. We built our own communities. We had our own healthcare systems. You know, even something as simple as a buying group. Um, you know, the Orientals do that. I learned about this when I was living in China, because you know, here we see uh, every variety store, convenience store in Canada is owned by Koreans, and you know, and I know I remember in in the states too. Most of them are owned by Koreans or you know Asians. And I remember hearing during the L.A. riots after Rodney King when when they were, you know, burning down and looting L.A. And then there were the Koreans up on the rooftops with guns shooting them off. And they interviewed some of the blacks and they were saying, well, how come these Koreans have the money to open up grocery stores and things like that? Well, let me tell you how the Koreans had the money, because they formed what's called a lending circle, uh, a group of. 20 Koreans would get together and they would all throw in a hundred bucks a month into a pot and they would do that month after month after month. And then what they would do is they would take that money and they would invest it in a business that they would all be a part of. Now they would put one family in to run it, you know, and these, these folks worked, you know, uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you know, to run this business. But they got the money because they all pooled together and they invested the money into the business. And one family would run it for five years. They would make all their money back plus profit. Then they would bring another family over from Korea and say, we have jobs for you. Yeah, long hours, but in five years you can cash out and buy a house and get another business. That's how they support each other. And look what they've done. You know, they start off with a crappy little convenience store. But after five years, they've already cycled, you know, four or five families through there, started up another six businesses. They all own homes. They all have nice cars. They all have kids. They all go to the, you know, the good schools because they cooperated. Only 20 people. And they were able to do all this. But this is kept from us. This is kept away from our awareness. Anyways, I'm, I'm it into almost, it. it. Yeah, I it almost sounds like a... A, a mafia type of situation like that with the Italian mafia, the, the, how they would, you know, they all kind of granted you'd have to pay into it. And it was kind of, you were intimidated to pay into it, but then they would do things for the community. Well, yeah, they did uh, until they, until yeah. they started doing crazy things to the community by bringing in the drugs and everything else. But that was the original idea of that, that they would take care of each other. Yeah, the mafia was started off as, again, another mutual aid society. Right. And the same thing with the uh, triads and the tongs. Um, you've heard about the tongs, right? The, uh, the Chinese uh, organized crime, right? Called the tongs? No. Oh, uh, okay. Well, if you've ever read about the, the, the tong wars of New York in the 1890s. Um, so the tongs was a, is a slang for a Chinese organized crime. But tong actually means mutual aid society. They started off as a mutual aid society 200 years ago. Then they kind of evolved into an anti-government society. 
And um, actually, the style of Kung Fu that I learned and in Hong Kong when I was in Hong Kong was is called Hong Chuan. And uh, it is actually based on the, the, the triad, the Heaven, Earth, and Man Society, the uh, Huang Ti Hui, um, which was, again, a mutual aid society. Uh, but they kind of evolved into an anti-government society, which actually all mutual aid societies are. They are anti-government because yeah. they do not rely on governments, you know. Well, and the governments hate them. Any anytime you have an established, you know, community, however stuff grows up, you know, all of a sudden this community organizes into a government and then the government, you know, hires you know, law enforcement. And what happens is, you know, this is what Rachel and I talk about with the shadow citizen, is the people that are above the law, the laws don't apply equally to everybody. And right. so when you know, when you have a local government, it, it has a tendency to you know, be lenient on its, uh, you know, founding members or whatever, the people that are more highly placed, and yet they just throw the book at anybody, you know, trying to start out. You know, it's, you know, I, I saw this all the time with just uh, building contractors. You know, it's the uh, building inspectors would, they weren't really looking out for the the people that needed the service to make sure that the houses was were built well. They were just keeping the competition away by that. Uh, you mentioned too before about the three generations, and uh, those three generations are all the ones that grew up with television—the baby boomers, the millennials, uh, uh, right. and and so yeah, and 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 X, Let's yeah, not and X, X. <laughs> and uh, I'm just totally forgotten every single time, but yes, Gen X. Yeah. Uh, but in in the shows like you know any of these Survivor Island shows just drive you know and I haven't had a TV for a long long time. Well, I do have one. I just don't have cable. I play DVDs with it every now and then. But uh, but you know all of it's they're like trying to teach us to be you know sociopathic behavior of you know of just you know teaming up to cut down the guy that's uh, you know it seems to have the ability to make it so. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll. Be... Yeah, I have a, a particular hatred for that Survivor uh, show. I watched it once, and I saw immediately what they were trying to do. You know, here's um, in my book, The uh, Art of Urban Survival. The first chapter is dedicated to psychopaths, and uh, I use the the text to narrate the video called uh, "Defense Against a Psychopath," because in order to understand why our society is so insane and screwed up as it is you have to understand what psychopaths are and they're not just serial killers and they're not just people that want money and that, that are addicted to money and they're not just people that want control they they're all those things yes they're serial killers you know look at the clintons um they want power look at uh, you know the rockefellers and the soros and, and and the mccains and yes they want all that um but there's another facet to their personality that people will find very hard to understand. But these people, it's not just that they want to be richer than you. It's not that just that they want to control you. Is that they enjoy seeing people suffer. That's their, their kink. That's what they get off on. That's what arouses them. That's why they rape children, because children are suffering. And their suffering causes them to become aroused. And the people that are in charge of our government are doing things not... Be, yeah, they want the money, they want the power. They already got money and power. They got all the money and all the power that any despot, tyrant, emperor could ever dream of having. They're ruling over 360 million people and controlling everybody's lives through their petty legislation and their armed enforcement wing of military and police. <laughs> you know, the, the most Caligula could only dream of such power. But what they're doing is they're causing suffering, and they're doing that on purpose because they enjoy it. So a lot of these things is like, oh, why would they do that? You know, they're they're hurting their own people. No, they're they're destroying America. Well, they wouldn't do that just to destroy America. America, uh, you know, is their bread and butter. They wouldn't destroy America. No, they wouldn't destroy America because. For them, witnessing our misery and suffering and, and our slavery is even more pleasurable than making more money. So until you understand that, you don't understand what 
our foreign policy is, what government policy is, what legislation is. It's all designed to create more misery and suffering because they enjoy it. There's no other reason for it. It's insane. I anyway. think the other thing that happens, too, is that you've got these personalities. We'll call them psychopathic personalities. But there's different camps. They form into camps, in my opinion. They're forming into camps, and they are trying to vie for um, dominance with each other. So that, to me, is what I see them as having fun doing. Not only just you know just watching people be miserable and suffering, but they enjoy the the fight against another psychopath. Well, yes and no. Um... First of all, psychopaths, you know, there's a there's a kind of a, a life cycle to all of this. And there's a life cycle to civilization. And our civilization is coming to an end. So, um, again, more reason to form a leaderless society of small communities because it's coming to an end, folks. And if you can get, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 people to work together, you know, you all got each other's backs, you all contribute, you know, a measly 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, you know, after a few months it builds up and now you've got a, a, a kitty, a pot, a cash, so that if somebody gets sick, you can pay for their medical expenses. Or if, you know, they have, uh, somebody's giving birth, you can pay for midwife to come to their house well Things people like used, to, used to have families that's the other thing that blows my mind too the families used to be so big and yeah. families would take care of each other the other thing too is that your family would be on your back about being healthy because it was your family that was going to have to pay for medical bills or it was your family that's going to like everybody feel bad because your family wasn't behind you if you know what i'm trying to say is we've lost the family the family is one of the most simple micro local things to deal with yes and we've lost that it's your original community yeah and um, they've gone after the family on purpose because and they've destroyed the family feminism and 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 pornography and um you know they've turned us you know they've destroyed everything in this country that is good they have you know we don't have family anymore i don't have any family Um, never did you know there's a story I'm going to fit in right here because it does kind of fit because it, it struck me, um, you know, one of the people I pick up every morning, uh, she's had a stroke and several brain surgeries. And as I drive her down the hill, she is screaming, you know, stupid, stupid, stupid. And, you know, she's just uh, going through all these motions and everything. And my dispatcher said, I have a girl that's got to get out to the uh, the elementary. She's late. Can you pick her up on route? Because they're both going the same way. So I pick her, uh, I go to pull up, and she's got a little, uh, you know, baby uh, car carrier. And I go, oh, my gosh. And she puts the baby car carrier in the back with this other woman who's just this, and as soon as she did, all of a sudden that woman, she just mellowed out. Her her face was smiling, and she was reaching over, and she didn't want to, you know, she was just so happy to be in the cab with, with this baby, you know. It, and I just thought about what, you know, she's not around her family anymore. The county hires care to look after her, and then we, we pick her up and we take her to adult daycare where she's around other old people that are in the process of just being eliminated. And I just thought, you know, what if this woman was being taken care of by her family like they used to do in the old days? So I just wanted to fit that one in there because it really struck me. as it, I, uh, I just looked at it and I thought, wow, we've drifted so far. Oh, yeah. And it, it's all part of the programming. You know, it's the education system, the TV, the popular culture. It's all designed to destroy the family. And it, it succeeded wildly. Yeah, yeah, you know, and um, so the thing is, if you don't have a family, then the next best thing is to create your own family and get people that think like you, that have the same values as you, uh, that you can trust. It's essential that you can trust them and uh, that you have each other's backs, you know, and, and, and create your own family. And by doing so, you have your own community and that will offer some protection against the predation of the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more I am becoming more and more well, of an anarchist all the time, because, you know, I, I think in a small community, it does have a function. And that's how I grew up, too. You know, I 
I remember we used to have the milkman used to walk into the house and look in the refrigerator and see how much milk we needed for the for the couple of days. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, doors sure. were never we locked. Right in. Yeah. yeah. Go to your fridge and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to bring you another two quarts tomorrow." Okay, you know. Yeah, it, just a whole different lifestyle, and like you say, it was like Huck Finn or you know Andy of Mayberry. It was just uh, yeah. completely. Yeah, but different. it's not like that anymore, guys. No, that's no, the not thing. At all. It's really scary to think about that because as soon as you said this about um, the the micro local, I'm thinking, oh, you mean like the guy, the people at Waco? Oh yeah, sure. That's like they, they were, they had, they had gone away. They created their own family. Granted, it was not anything that I'd want to be involved in. I don't think from like the messaging that I'm getting about the whole thing. I don't think I want to be involved with that. But they had gone and they started their own little community. Next thing you know, who's, you know, everybody knows the story of Waco. Sure, they're burning children alive. Yeah. yeah, and we get, you know, the the story that they cover up, you know, because uh, the winner always writes the history, so they're not going to portray the Koreshes or whoever they were as, you know, a good Christian family. They're going to show them as, as evil, you know, wife swapping and all sorts of stuff. Uh, who knows what yeah. goes on in that place? But, uh, you know, it was the government that went in and, and raided it and... Uh, you know, well, whatever they did, they weren't burning their children alive, right? No, right. Mm-hmm. only the wow. government does that and gets away no, with I, it. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Christian, and um, I would never be part of something like the, you know, Branch Davidian or whatever. But look, that's their business. Yeah, that is their goddamn business. They can do whatever the hell they want, provided they're not injuring uh, children if it's consensual uh, among adults. That's their business, what the hell they want to do, who they want to believe, what they want to do. and But that's not why the government went after them. They went after them specifically because they were a separate community. And that's why the government went after the Moose Lodge. That's why the government went after the Goodfellows Association and every other mutual aid and, 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 and fraternal and uh, sisterhood type societies. The government went after them. They took them down first financially. And then when the medical system came through, you know, the Rockefeller medical system came through, they were very instrumental in going after these societies because uh, at this time we were going, they were, you know, uh, consolidating their control over medicine. And what they didn't like was that these uh, mutual aid societies would use their money to have a doctor on call. So they would pay these doctors a monthly retainer. And anytime somebody got sick, the doctor would pay... A house call. I still remember having the doctor come to the house, right? I, I do, too. I remember that vividly, you know. You see, I've never experienced that until I went to another country. I was in a different country, and they did. the doctor came right to the, the place we were staying. And yeah. the, guy, the guy stayed at our room with us while he gave it IV, and he stayed there until the person felt better. Yeah. And so that's what these uh, uh, these mutual aid societies provided, you know. And um, well, you know, uh, the medical establishment couldn't establishment couldn't have that because they weren't making any money, because the societies paid the doctors on an individual basis. They would interview them. The doctor would come in and pre- present his credentials and his references, and they would hire him, you know. And it was profitable for the doctors because they weren't like working on every day you know there might be a thousand people and, and one or two would get sick a week and, and so we'd take one or two sick calls but his, his his expenses were taken care of and he could work for several different mutual aid societies you know and uh, so there was no profit for the medical industrial complex no no profit for the pharmaceutical complex because they all made their own medicines uh, you know so that had to go right <laughs> That's one of the the themes from the the Power Hour. Who will be our guest coming up here, Joyce Riley? But she says uh, hospitals and doctors make money off of sick people. So what incentive to, incentive do they have to make you well? You know, and it's very very true. So well, also just the the paperwork that is now bound with you know all the administrative stuff that has to happen for you to go see a doctor it's nuts it's literally nuts people you know you see it online you could get a job doing like medical transcription or you could do like there's little niches that you could do in that industry just to keep the thing afloat they need hundreds of people it employs hundreds of people every time somebody gets sick 
like yeah. with cancer or something. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a huge industry. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, too, is like what you said, the, the motivation now is to keep people sick. That's where the profit is. But under the other system, uh, the motivation for the uh, fellowship doctors was to keep people healthy because if they were healthy, less work for them. Right. <laughs> you know? right. They did profit from them being sick. The, when the members of the community were healthy, the doctor had more free time to go golfing. So it was in his best interest to make sure his patients were healthy. It's really amazing that more corporations haven't kind of adopted that, you know, just because they're always, you know, complaining about their workers being off sick and, you know, having to pay for sick days and all that kind of stuff, you'd think. But I guess that's just, you know, one corporation kind of interfering with another one so they have, you know, <laughs> secret well, deals. Well, comes in legislation and things like that to make sure it's illegal to do anything positive. Yeah, that's you know, probably true. The government true. is out to kill you that's you know let's not fool around anymore the, the the government has never cared about the average person never in the history of humanity has any government ever cared about the average person so that's why it's essential to always limit the power of government okay well wait a second that statement i'm 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 in my heart i'm with you but i can tell people in our audience are like wait a second wait a second wait what about the kennedy era they loved us. No, they didn't. Come on. You know? You know, I, what, what about Obama? He loved us. People be like that. <laughs> you know, like it's like you know, people, they don't, I, I get frustrated because people really do feel like they got a president or elected official that they voted for, they believed in, and they really think that that's the way that things get better is to get somebody in power that will make things better. And it's like they, they wash their hands of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I always hear, well, who's going to build the roads? Who's going to build the schools and educate the children? You know, and I go down to the historical society, and this city has 500-foot bluffs, and the people back in the day before power tools built a huge toboggan run from the top of the bluffs to across the lake. Tell me an insurance company would let them do that now. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, you see pictures of rows of men with shovels. And I know it was a hard life, but the stuff got done, you know, and that was before, a, you know, overly organized government with hundreds and hundreds of black and white SUVs <laughs> to, uh, I don't know, go around and rev revenue generate is all I can see, really. So, Well, the communities built the roads. Communities built everything before government came in, and they did it for cost. In other words, you know, if it it costs you know a thousand dollars a mile, the community would pay you know the thousand dollars a mile. They would collect the money, they would donate the materials, they would volunteer their time. Now that the government comes in, the highway still costs a thousand dollars a mile. But they're charging $2 million a mile. Because, right, because you've got unions now. You've got a bond that you've, you've got. And you've got the back and the corruption, you know, because right? they're going to hire their contractor. And the contractor is going to say, oh, it costs $100,000 a mile. Right, and, and you got and, insurance and you got everything else going on. There's all sorts of stuff hanging off of it. Everybody's got to get their kickback and everybody's get the money under the table. And so now uh, we're the people, the community is still paying for the roads. I mean, mm -hmm. we could have paid it, but you know, through a mutual aid society or through a community, a thousand bucks a mile, we're still paying for it, but we're paying a hundred thousand dollars a mile. And the other $999,000 is going into corruption to pay for sex parties with underage teenage girls for these, uh, you know, anyways. <laughs> no, no, go on, go on. That's what we're here. <laughs> no, I start swearing. <laughs> no, go right ahead. Oh, yeah, I know. I I know. Because, you know, when I think about the exploitation and the kind of people that are in charge of things, I mean, just the worst scum of humanity. And they're the ones that are ruling it. You know, they're the ones that are ruling us. They own everything. And, um, you know, and they use their money to create more misery and, and suffering. And it's just so infuriating when you know what the truth of our society is. It's just horrendous, you know. I almost think that that's what the whole pedophilia thing is. They just think of the most horrendous, awful crime they can come up with, and uh, that's how they keep everybody intact. Everybody is hush hush because they yeah. they're in on it, and so uh, yeah, they're in on it. yeah, and so yeah, they've got the seat at the table, but they're and they and they can portray you know this lovely charismatic character who gets reelected every four years or. 
however, <laughs> and uh, yep. and yet, uh, yeah, these I think well, they are. Wait, wait, wait! Can I can, wait? Wait! I was just at the state house recently, and I'll just tell you, the people at the state house, granted, it's Rhode Island, we're the littlest state in the union. I'll just tell you, it was basically like you're walking around a high school, and I wouldn't put any of those people in that like omni evil mindset that you guys no. have are talking about right now but i could see people in that high school like getting the idea like oh i could go maybe higher in this hierarchy and this pyramid if i act a certain way and then they'd kind of morph and they'd go up but i, I would say the local governments at least the one that i witnessed and have witnessed it previously it's much more like a high school and sure. to that effect, it's like, oh, my gosh, these are the people that are actually running the world here for me in my state. Wow. OK. But bringing it back down to this local level, going to that micro local, that's where you can really affect stuff. And then if you do want to engage with politics, you could probably it, with your little micro local group. Now, 12, 10 people, 13 people, 20 people showing up at the state house and presenting something within the, the language that they speak there this legal language that might actually work, but no, I don't I, think that you can go full on like, Oh, everybody in government's like a pedophile. No, I mean, no, no, not everybody, no. you know, um, local, I know where people in local government too, uh, we're almost running out of time and they're yeah. fine, but they don't have any power. Yes, exactly. They don't uh, have you know, power. It's the people that play that want to play where they, where they did have power. If they wanted to move up into hierarchy, uh, well, there's people looking for them. You know, they're they're checking if they're downloading child porn, and if they are, then uh, somebody will make them an offer. Yeah, if they've got something that they can like basically blackmail them on in the future, that's yeah. what that's what I've seen happening. People that and they are, don't have, have to blackmail them because look, these these psychopaths work together, right? Uh -huh, like I said uh -huh. earlier, there's a sort of a, a, a cycle with them. It's uh, when two con, art, con artists used to. Move, uh, move into a small Midwestern farm town to fleece the locals, right? They cooperated, right? right. They recognize each other immediately. They know they're con artists. So <laughs> they have like little radar beams on each other. They do. Yeah. It's like gaydar, you know? It's like yeah. <laughs> gaydar, right? Well, you uh, mentioned before about the, the local lodges, and of course the one that we didn't get mentioned was the Masons, and of course this is they all say that this is where all the evil was, but but it, the same way as your no, local no. government, most of these guys aren't bad, they're just the guys that want to get out of the house once a week to go uh, tell stories yeah, and have uh, beer with the guys. But The Lions, the Rotarians, the Masons, the Shriners, I mean, you know, on... on, on, on on the civilian level, they're just regular guys, small businessmen, you know, and they do a lot of good, too. I don't have anything against those people, you know. Um, but there is, but buried again, in those lodges, are, are, yeah. it, it is the infrastructure that this, you know, that, that the evil can, can branch out through, and it has a, a covers. And, and that's, you know... Whether it's at the local, uh, you know, local government or local schools, you know, there's probably a few bad apples that have managed to, you know, to just uh, get in and, you know, I don't know, they work the system without, uh, uh, without corrupting everybody, but a lot of people kind of go along with it and don't say anything, you know, I, I don't know whether because instructors are tenured or, you know, whatever, they have different ways to protect each other once they're in the club and they aren't all evil uh but there probably are some evil doers in with them so anyway we're out of time it's uh we've got uh, less than a minute left here and Stefan, thank you so much uh do you have a yeah, website to plug or yeah china strategies tell people about china strategies and how to buy your books and know about you Okay, so my website is uh, chinastrategies.com. That's one word, China Strategies. And uh, my most recent book is The uh, Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior. And the book is aimed at providing people this, you know, because we're going through some really tough times and, and, and it's going to get tougher. And uh, we need to overcome our fear in our in our. Uh, uh, in activity and the only way to do that is to sort of like we've got to tap into being the kind of people uh the founding fathers were you know tough independent strong warriors and uh, so it's a book on on um how to become uh, a jedi knight basically 
Thank you, Stephen. Right Steven. on. And that's what we all need. Yeah. Okay, thanks a bunch. We'll get you back another time, I hope. Thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome to Shadow Citizen with Rachel McIntosh and Robo Sound.